going to talk about marriage today, and I, you know, I know some of you are looking and say, well, I'm just a young person, and I'm not married. I can shut my brain off. No, 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 no. Pay very, you should take notes most, because someday you're probably going to be married. You say, well, we had, I was married, and it didn't work. Take notes. We're, we're going to encourage you on, in case you have round two. Uh, I'm so grateful this church cares about the families the way it does. You know, I, I, I've been around your pastor a very brief period of time, but I think I could testify. This is not a man that wants a family-centered church or a child-centered church or a mission-centered church or, uh, 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 you know, caring for the poor-centered church. He wants a Jesus-centered church. And when Jesus is in his rightful place, these other things fall into place better. But I, but I also know that he realized, he and his team realized the incredible role that the family plays in the health of the church. It's this, health, this church is only as healthy as the, uh, as the spiritual health of these families showing up on Sunday. And that's why they're putting some special attention into this. And we're going to talk about marriage today. And then I'm coming back at the end of the month. And, and I, I'm so glad to be here. I, 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 um, let me uh, go back here a little bit in time. I, I, I grew up in Annapolis, Maryland. Well, I moved there when I was 10 and... and, and uh, Oh, when I was a teenager, uh, I met a girl, and oh man, I was smitten by this girl. She was so pretty and 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 smart and and and, and statuesque and clever. It took me five years to convince her of all the untapped potential that was deeply embedded in me. I said, T "I'm telling you, girl, I'm the motherload of a great time. Work with me. Mine this stuff. It could be yours." Anyway, we finally I convinced her to marry me. Uh, and uh, she's here with Darcy. Stand up, say hi to everybody. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to be married 45 years here at, uh, toward the just before we come back here in August. And and we're, we're grateful. Now now listen, for those of you who are married, those of you who are going to get married. Here's when, when you go before a church and you exchange those vows. What you're supposed to be signing up for is to write a love story. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Just writing a love story. And it's a love story. It's going to have a lot of chapters and go through some highs and lows and drama and all that stuff. But when you finally get to the end, it's supposed to be a story that could be read by the generations that were watching that love story play out. And even after we're gone, can play a huge role. But here's the problem I see on a lot of couples that get married. I mean, they're clearly in love. But they end up writing a roommate story. Or uh, put up with a lot of disappointment story. Or at least we didn't get divorce story. I know a, a couple that celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. And I thought, well, that's, that's great. And that's obviously a milestone. But because of my closeness to them and had been able to get inside what the relationship was like, it was, it was, a, it was a relationship of indifference. All they were celebrating is the fact that they, they hit a, a milestone. But it could have been so much more. And God wants it to be more. And that's why we want to we wanna unpack something. Now, now, on my wedding day... Let's say an emissary of the Lord would have slipped into the reception and pulled me aside and said, don't freak out, but um, I'm an angel. And uh, God sent me down here because you're getting married, and he's crazy about you guys. And, but he was just concerned a little bit about you, Tim. And, uh, and so he hands me a little three-by-five card and a pen and says, Tim, I'm, I'm just curious. Could you please just write out for me real quickly a job description for this this." Thing you just signed up for this marriage 
you know, when you're going to do something, but when you go uh, apply for a job, you want to see that first. You want to say, how, how well do I measure up this? And so if he'd have said, hand that to me, and, and I was brought up in a Christian home. I was brought up in church, but I'd have been hard-pressed to write out a clear job description, especially one that was based on the Bible. And, and frankly, I had other things in my mind. What I was thinking about at that time was how to get her out of that party, get her alone, and get her out of that dress. That's all I was thinking. And so, I, 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 but then you find out you are married, and now we have these years ahead of us. And how are we going to play this out? So what I want to do is actually unpack a job description for marriage. Marriage is to go the distance. It comes straight out of the Word of God. In fact, it comes straight out of page one. Because see, when God created the earth, and he did all this uh, wonderful stuff, he had to, his crowning creation was the image bearers, the human race. And when everything, was else done, everything else was done, he said, let us make man in our own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female, created them. And, and he, he wanted, he gave us specific responsibilities, but, but he made man, then he made a woman, and he put them together in a configuration, a marriage. And so one of the first things you see, let us make man in our image. The first thing we'd have to put on our biblical job description for marriage is that, that we're to mirror God's image. Our marriages are to mirror his image, be a reflection of him. Let's say you were driving out towards the Smoky Mountains, going down a road, and, and there at the base of one of these mountains is a nice lake. And just because of the way the sun is, is shining on that mountain, that mountain is, mountain is perfectly reflected in that lake. And you say, oh, I got to get a picture of this. You see, that's what, it's, that's what our marriages are supposed to be like. We're supposed to be a reflection as a couple of, of God and his heart. But let's say just before you're about to snap that picture on your phone, some kid sees what's going on, picks up a rock and throws it into the middle of the lake. And now all these ripples go out. Well, that's more what we're dealing with because we have sin in our lives and, 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 and we, we, we fall short. We walk on feet of clay. We have issues that we bring to marriage. And so even though we're supposed to reflect God's image and be a mirror image of it, it is marred by the junk in our life. And yet God came still to deal with that. And we've been singing about the redemption story up to this point. How he came to, to, to do that. And when, here, here's God makes this man, this man and woman. He marries them together. And guess who's watching the whole time? Satan is right there watching. He says, oh, I see the plan. I see the strategy. Everything's going to pivot on this. And that's why chapter 3 of Genesis, he comes at him with a vengeance. He says, I'm going I'm to mess this thing all up. And, he, and, and obviously, he, um, Adam and Eve brought sin into the camp. It was so severe that their firstborn child murdered his brother. But God's plan didn't change. He still meant for so much of it to ride on how the marriages go. And so we're supposed to do that. And, and so God joined a man and a woman so that together they would mirror his image. Together. But the problem is, we're so different. We're so utterly different. Now, Darcy and I didn't think we were different before we were married. In fact, we just thought we were just kind of uh, mirror images of each other. We loved the same things. We had the exact same taste before we were married. For instance, before we were married, 
Darcy loved football. She loved it. We lived in Annapolis, Maryland. She called me, you, you know, the Redskins are playing tonight on television. You want to come over to my house and watch the game? Well, yeah. And I'd go over there, and she'd make cool stuff to eat and sit next to me on the couch with her feet up in the hassock, holding my hand. And, and she watched the entire, she would watch entire games with me. She watched so much football, she figured out players' names. She figured out defenses. She figured out that the numbers on their jersey correspond to their position on the field. Most women don't know that. Most men don't know that. <laughs> Unless you played the game, you don't realize that the way the officials can tell what position they play is they look at your number. If she ever had to get up and, and, and leave, she never walked between me and a television set. She'd get down, you know, crawl underneath. <laughs> never turned on a noisy appliance during a two-minute warning. I said, I'm marrying this girl. We're going to watch the game the rest of our lives. Before we got married, Darcy used to make some of her own clothes. She'd lay the, 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 the cloth out there, the fabric out there on the floor, and then get the little pieces of tissue paper of the pattern, set them where she went. You know what I used to love doing? I'd get down on my hands and knees with a pin cushion, I'd pin them all down for her, get the scissors out, very carefully cut them all out, stack them up for her. I used to enjoy doing that for her before we were married. <laughs> and then we got married. Game came on. Hey, Darcy, sit down and watch the game with me. Why? What do you mean, why? You love football. When did you get the impression I love football? <laughs> She'd get out a pattern. Can you help me pin this down and cut it out? Well, I'm capable, but I'm not nuts about the idea. I thought you enjoyed it. When did I give you that impression? Okay, now I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, Tim and Darcy Kim are so pathetic, they, they, de they deliberately deceived each other to get the other person to marry them. Now, we're not questioning the pathetic part. But we didn't deceive each other to get the other person. Because before we got married, she liked football, and I liked to help her cut junk out. And then we got married. And you know what happened to us? And just pay very close attention to young people. You know what happened to us? We changed. We changed. It happens all the time. I know some people that say, you, you know, I mean, they're, they're in positions of, Authority in, in, in the Christian movement, they say, you should never marry somebody unless you have a, 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 you know, a whole lot in common with them and you just love the same thing. And I, and I just disagree with that. Now, if you can work that out, good for you. But I don't think it's essential. I, I don't think it's essential we marry somebody that's a lot like us in order to have a great marriage. And here's why. Because five, five, uh, five years after you're married, that's not who you're married to. Doesn't matter who you marry, that's not who you marry to five years later. And I'm not talking about divorce. I'm just talking about life. It changes us. I mean, you get married and uh, you move away from your folks. There's change. Then you start making more money collectively you ever saw in your life. That's change. Then you got to make a couple of dumb uh, investments, lose more money you ever lost in your life. More change. Then uh, you go to the hospital, bring home this 20 year wake up calls called children. <laughs> they change your looks. I give you that astonished look of a deer caught in the headlights for two decades. <laughs> Go off to a graveyard and bury one or more of your kids. Uh, excuse me, one or more of your parents, and you change. I, I haven't had parents for a long time. They died pretty young. Or sit in a rocking chair outside a delivery room and hold one of those newborns in your arms and rock that child all night 
the, uh, the day it's born, begging God to let that child live. I've done that. You're not the same after that. So what makes a great marriage that you have a lot in common? No, no, no. You're constantly adjusting to what life's bringing your way and what's happening to you. And that willingness to adjust is a word called grace. When grace is in place, it can help us process these things that are inevitable. And so when we, can mirror, when, when we bring um, the union of marriage together, God wanted it, it, the oneness of our relationship to reflect his character in the unity of God. We are, we are walking examples of, of the, the applied gospel. And also our oneness is supposed to be a living picture of the intimate relationship Jesus has with his church. Does Jesus love the church because we're so lovable? No, we're a mess. And yet he cares for us. And that's why he wants to do a great work in us. Now, and now, now we, we make, uh, this is supposed to be a life, lifelong commitment. And usually when you do your vows, after you've made your promises to each other, you close off, as long as we both shall live. But now people like to write their own vows. And I heard of a guy, a guy and a gal, that they said they wanted, they wanted to be able to say, as long as we both shall love. Well, I hope they get out of the church before that one gets put to the test. Are you kidding me? Your love's going to, it's coming, at, the world's coming after you. Life's coming after you. That's why we have to make these decisions no matter what. And all our love stories, like I say, is going to go through seasons. And we got to be ready to stand in there. And couples who mirror God's image experience oneness in their marriage. A second purpose that would come out of the Bible for a job description for marriages that go the distance is to mutually complete one another, to experience companionship. We had uh, four kids, girl, boy, girl, boy. And I would take the boys out for breakfast sometimes on their own. We called that the breakfast club. But when I took the girls out, we called it a date, breakfast date. And I took Karis out one time. She was just a little thing, maybe five, six and what she used to love to do on the way back from breakfast on Saturday morning is snake through different uh, communities following signs of garage sales. Or she'd buy something that we don't need and, 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 and store it for several years and then ultimately sell it at our garage sale. Uh, but she loved it and it was fun for her. Well, we, she followed the sign. We, I was following the signs that she was pointing out to him. We came to one, got out of the car, and as we started to walk up the driveway, the person running this um, um, garage sale had taken a chalk and in big letters down at the bottom saying, getting divorced. Everything must go. And then to one side, there was an arrow that said, his stuff. The other side, my stuff. So I knew who was running this thing. And on his side, there was some sports equipment and, and tools, her side stuff for the house, some furnishings. And of course, to see this sign, my heart breaks. I said, what I do? I just hate to see a marriage come apart. But I came up there, and, I was looking, and over in her side, she had a table with a lot of stuff on it. But in the middle, there was this beautiful frame picture. But as I looked at it, it was their wedding picture. And it was that one where, you know, often it's a posed picture where they have their champagne glass, they interlock their arms, they're looking right at the camera. And it had these, these dazzling eyes and this beautiful smile. And they're looking right at the camera. And then I'm looking, and then I look at the woman, and I thought, what happened? Between the, the moment this photo was taken and now that wiped that beautiful smile off her face. Well, we know what happens. You, you know, our, our selfishness, our issues, and our unwillingness to yield can get the best of us. 
And yet God brought us together to be companions. I like to say it this way, that our job is to bring the best out of our spouse, to bring the best out of each other. I can't bring the best out of each other if, all, if, 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 if I'm wanting this whole thing to be about me. And yet it's very easy trap to fall into, and we'll deal with this a lot more uh, and free you up on that when, when we come back here in August. See, God designed marriage. First of all, he said in Genesis 2, 18, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. I was, in a, I was brought up in a family of six kids. So was Darcy. And um, I never felt loneliness as a child. Always had siblings around me, parents, friends, neighbors. Go to school, had lots of friends. I never felt alone until I met her. And when my heart started to turn towards her and I realized, boy, I... I, I don't, I wouldn't look forward to a future without her in it. You see, God makes that. He puts a void in our life. He said, I'm going to put a void in your heart that even I'm not going to fill. I've got somebody to do that. Now, you may be called to singlehood. He does call that some people to singlehood. And he does, he, he will fill that. But others, he said, no, I've got somebody, a, a, a helper, somebody to come alongside you, somebody to meet those needs, those companionship needs. And God designed marriage as that first social institution. He kicked off, God has kicked off all major uh, connections to man with a, with a marriage. Obviously, we're reading about the creation story. Let's have a wedding. Jesus kicked off his public ministry at a wedding. He had picked out his 12 executive vice presidents that are gonna, he's going to hand this thing over to after the, the crucifixion resurrection, after the redemption story is over. And he said, now I want you to take this gospel out. And, 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 but I would think this would be a time for concerts of prayer and big strategy meetings. He says, no, 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 no. Let's go up to Canaan. I have friends getting married. We're all invited. And that's where he did his first miracle. When we get to heaven, the Bible says the very first thing in the agenda is the marriage feast of the Lamb. Another wedding thing. So God, God uses weddings to kick off great relationships with his people. And he was at your wedding whether you invited him or not. He, he created marriage. This was his idea, and he wanted to meet our companionship needs. And, and, and God designed marriage as the first system of, listen to this, interdependent relationships. Interdependent, meaning not codependent. And see, a lot of marriages become that way, where, where one is just codependent on the other, and the other, and, and, and many times that person that they're codependent on is, is oftentimes a high controller, or they're trying to make this person an extension of their ego, and an extension of, of, of their whims, that is not a healthy marriage. God never called anybody, not a man or a woman, to do that. And nor is it two independent people where they don't need each other for anything. No, they're interdependent, meaning they keep, a healthy marriage, you keep your identity intact as a man or a woman. But because of the way God brings us together in his power through his grace, that we, 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 God uses us to enhance and, and make, and then there are needs we do have with each other. The unique needs that we don't share with anybody else. Intimacy, sexual intimacy, all that stuff. And so God gives that to us. And, and he meant for that to be there. And God designed the marriage relationship as the priority relationship of the family because as the marriage goes, so goes everything else. So goes the kids, so goes the legacy. And see, like, like it or not, we're all leaving a legacy that is non-negotiable. 
We're leaving tracks. We don't have a choice of if we leave them, but we do have a choice of what kind. But, but and we, we have an option with our marriage to actually give our kids an, an incredible wedding gift by just how they saw us live out all the stresses and the problems and the pressures of marriage, of not just the stuff coming at us from the culture or the world, but just the stuff of being human beings. But, but see, God's grace slips in there, and, it, and it's the great equilibrium that gives us help through that. Because, you know, when there's stress in a the marriage, they, they, they've done studies on this. When there's stress in a marriage, I mean, really serious stuff, they say even the pets are neurotic in that home. Now, if the cat is needing therapy, I guarantee you the kids know something's wrong here, whether we talk about it out loud or not. And, and listen, all couples have stress. By the way, we're going to talk, one of the things we're talking about at, 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 at uh, the conference is, is grace-filled conflict, grace-filled fighting. All couples fight. Two people, you're going to have conflict. That's just... But, but if you fight right, if you fight fair, if you fight graciously, God can use that to make you better people and actually show your kids how to process it too. But it's when our selfishness gets in the way that things go down. And oneness in marriage is only possible when we consider our spouse before we consider ourselves. I love this verse in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then, as the punchline of this, Paul builds a case. The reason I'm saying that we should do this is because that's what Jesus did for us. He goes on, he says, uh, have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although God, did not consider all the privileges of being God, something that he would, that, that to be uh, held on to, but he emptied himself, not of his deity or his godliness, but of all those privileges, humbled himself and took on the form of a human being. And he came obedient to death, even death on the cross. So he says, this is what Jesus did for us. Why don't we do it for each other? And so when I come here to talk about grace-filled marriage, I can summarize the whole point of the thing in one sentence. What a grace-filled marriage is when you treat your spouse the way God treats his spouse. That's all it is. And when you look at how Jesus deals with the church, Think about this. Some of the struggles we can have, just standard mar marriages, you know, you can be Christians, you can be going to church, you can teach the Bible, but it's easy to have problems with getting, you know, volume and yelling at each other, name-calling, guilting the other person, shaming the other person, comparing the other person. I could go on. I could I keep naming all these awful things that we are very capable of being. But my question would be, does Jesus ever do any of that to us? Ever. Does he ever yell at us? Does he ever shame us? Does he ever compare us? Does he ever write us off? Does he ever turn his back on us? Does he ever give us the silent tribute? Never. And, and he said, look, when, when you take me on, I want my spirit to overwhelm you. And the way we know his spirit is in place in our life is we start to treat the people up close to us the way he treats us. That's all grace is. That's all applied grace. And we could be getting all the truth messages just right and, and, and checking off all the theology just right, but we, we miss the temperature of the whole story, the heart of Jesus. And that's why God can change all this for us, and he does. 
And we're going to show you exactly what that looks like when we get together in the end of August. Couples who pursue companionship with one another experience uh, uh, the blessing of oneness as a couple. The third thing, and this is the last thing I want to mention, you know, we're going to mirror God's image. He calls us to mutually complete each other. And then the third thing he's called us in our marriage to do is to multiply a godly legacy. To multiply a godly legacy. Um, many years ago, I was doing some research on a book I was working on in the Library of Congress. But I just couldn't concentrate. Because something had happened the day before that just, it, it, it just took, it, everybody focused in on it. It's one of those things that when it happens, you remember exactly where you were when you heard about it. Because the day before, the space shuttle Challenger had blown up over Cape Canaveral. And we had all these astronauts that were vaporized in that explosion. And one of them was a, 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 a civilian teacher, uh, Christy McCullough. And I remember you know, they, they, they had a camera on her parents as they watched the thing go up. And they knew that there were separations that were going to happen. But when this thing blew up, they, you could see the confusion. Like, is that one of the separations? Is that what it looks like? And then it was then the horrific reality. No, no, something awful's happened. So I just couldn't concentrate. So I decided I needed a diversion. I thought, I'm going to go over and wander around that famous building across the street from the Library of Congress, the U.S. Capitol building. Now, this was before 9-11. You could actually, back then, just walk right in the front door. And so I, I got on my coat. And remember, it was very cold on the East Coast at that time. And I walked up those front steps and it came into that beautiful rotunda. And every time I've walked in there, I've always thought the same thing. Darcy and I need to do this to our entryway. This is good. But anyway, I came in, and, and, and there was a little tour starting off to my left. A gal had on a, like a green blazer, and she was going to lead a tour. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll tag on. And so she wandered us around there and talked about some of the art, some of the sculpture, uh, some of the architecture. And then we saw the house and the Senate, and, and she kind of wandered us over and then brought us back to where we started. And then before, but then we're ready to dismiss us. She said, oh, before you go, I want to show you a picture of the most significant person in America. And I thought, what's she going to do here? And I'm looking around at all these pictures in the rotunda, and none of those are the most significant people in America. They're all dead. Now, oh, she's going to pull out a mirror and show us herself. But she didn't. She reached in her pocket and pulled out one of them little Olin Mills pictures of her little girl. Oh, girl, you know, it's, oh, I just want you to see my daughter. And she, and she was just so proud of wanted us all. And we all gathered around and did our oohs and ahs, and she nice on us. And then we left. And then I, I went out on the, on, on the top of the steps there, and I'm buttoning up my coat, and I'm thinking about what just happened. I came into that Capitol building, and I was just loaded down with pain and hurt over an event that happened at the hands of our scientific community. And you know, a lot of people think science is what can deliver the future. But we found that science is only as reliable as, the, as a gasket in, in, in the seam of an external booster rocket. Then, I, I thought, but, but I've been wandering around the Capitol building, and a lot of people think it's government that can deliver the future. I mean, if anything, I was standing on freedom's front porch, but I had thought about decisions that had been made in that House and Senate over the years, over our, histori over our history, that have blessed us with a guilty conscience. And I thought, government isn't the answer. The only thing that made any sense to me was a proud mom with a picture of her little girl. I said, no, this can deliver the future. And, 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 and God calls us as, 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 as families, as parents, to make that difference. He, after he had made them, he, he, he married them. He says, now be, he blessed them. He said, 
He said, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. But fill the earth, not just as humans, fill the earth as humans filled with the Holy Spirit, with the power and presence of God. And that only happens when, so much of that is contingent on what's going on in our marriages. Now, we'll all struggle in our spiritual walk. None of us get it all right. I certainly did. But God can come alongside. I I love that verse. It says, love covers a multitude of mistakes. And and so God wants us to multiply this godly legacy. And and what's interesting about it, you know, I I like uh, how Chuck Swindoll said it. He he summarized this thing. He says, you know, life is where, uh, home is where life makes up its mind. And I believe it's true. I mean, there's other influences on our young people. And, but nothing compares to the influence of a mom and dad. And that's why when we let Christ's grace become the defining feature of who we are, and, and by the way, that doesn't happen by going to a Sunday school class and writing down a checklist. Uh-uh. See, we can love each other as humans. We have the capacity to love because we were made in God's image, Right? We're his image bearers. God is love. He gave us all the capacity of love, except our love is flawed because of sin, right? So none of us bring perfect love. And I, I don't think we realize how much the love that we actually give to people, how transactional it is. But human love is very transactional. We tend to love people that love us back. And when, when that starts to fade and all, then we can start to back away too. Whereas grace is different because grace only shows up when Jesus is there. And Jesus is in charge when he's uh, uh, driving a bus. I'm not talking about nice. A lot of people think grace is just nice. No, grace and nice are not synonyms. Grace can be nice, but sometimes it, it, the gracious thing to do is for somebody to get in their face and say, we got a problem, we got to deal with this. And so, so God calls us to that. Neither women nor men were made emotionally, spiritually, or physically to raise children by themselves. Child rearing it requires a team effort, and, and obviously our hearts, and uh, we salute those men and women who many times have to do it on their own, but they, they're the first one to say, oh man, do I wish there was somebody else here helping on this, and, and, and this is a team effort. To appreciate a, uh, their sexual identity, children need to see, must see a harmonious marriage modeled by their parents, and couples who value Children as a gift from God can experience the blessing of a godly legacy. When, when I come back in August, I really want to encourage you to come. Now, now some say, oh, our marriage is doing great. We don't need to go to a marriage conference. Is your car running real well? Good. Do you take it in for maintenance? Because if you don't take it in for maintenance, it won't be running well. <laughs> See, love, love, is, love is never static. It's either getting, it's either improving or it's declining. That's the nature of love. Love has to be maintained. And so I want to encourage you, even if your marriage is great, come to sin because it's just going to encourage you even more and sharpen you even more. Or marriage, you say, our marriage is on life support. We don't stand a chance. You won't believe what God has in store for you when you come and see what he did on the cross and how that can make all the difference in your life. Or maybe you're engaged. Or you're single, and you, 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 know, you want to make, get ready for that. Do that. And, and if, if you're one of those people that have got 50, 60 years under your belt, all the more reason to be there. Because there's one thing about love. It never stops growing. It never stops learning.
So I hope you come. We're going we're gonna to learn how to fight fair. We're going we're gonna to see some of the stuff we don't realize. And things. There's three things that we bring to the table that automatically complicate life for us. And how God's grace all makes all the difference in the world. And by the way, you're going to laugh a lot. And we're going to talk about grace-filled sex. This is, this is probably the, the most unique thing of any couple. And it's supposed to be one of the things, the great rewards of the relationship. But for often, it's, it's one that it's, it's brings a lot of sadness or disappointment that can change. We'll show you that. We'll have a lot of fun with it. And I want you to be back on that. Uh, because God, you know, we know we have struggles inside. Plus, we have an enemy working against us. God put our marriages on the 50-yard line, and Satan's coming after us. But... We don't need to worry about that because the Bible says greater is he who is in you than he is in the world. And God wants to get us beyond that. Let me close with this story. Um, to kind of illustrate what I'm talking about here. Uh, because we had two daughters, Darcy, they had long hair when they were little girls. And Darcy always fixed their hair and it looked so nice. I never paid one bit of attention to what she was doing to their hair. And so, uh, because I never had to fix her hair. But then... She, they, she went to visit her mother one time uh, down in Florida and left me in charge of kids. And, and so I did my best to make sense out of their long hair uh, for church. And, you know, got out the glue gun and the staple thing and all, you know, the duct tape. I tried. I, I didn't know what I was doing. It, it, I tried. Anyway, one of her friends ratted me out and so forth. So <laughs> she said, uh, after she got back, found out, I said, look, uh, tonight after we put the kids to bed, I, I, I want to show you something, maybe teach you something. So we got the kids down and got them to bed, and then I went out and built a fire in the fireplace, and I put on some music on a radio station that played songs that are popular when we were in college. And she came out with a hairbrush. Well, right away, I got nervous about that. But she said, look, look, I'm going to teach you how to do something that even if you don't go, do a good job on this, it's better than what you were doing. I'm going to teach you how to French braid hair. And so she sat down there kind of uh, cross-legged on, on the rug, and, and I'm sitting there on the couch, and I brush out her hair. And following her instructions, I started to French braid her hair. And it was pretty ragged and all, but I brushed it out, and I just did it over again. And I just kept doing it over and over again. And we're visiting and talking, looking at the fire, listening to music. And, and, and as, as, as we were going through there quite a ways, about an hour into this thing, and then a song came on I hadn't heard in years. And, and it was a song that was recorded by James Taylor, but... It was a song that, uh, when, when, it was, when I first heard it as a young person, I always kind of connected Jesus to the lyrics. Because the lyrics went something like this, you just call out my name, you know wherever I am, I'll come running to see you again. Winter, spring, summer, fall, all you got to do is call. I'll be there. You've got a friend. And I thought, that's how Jesus is with us. No matter what, no matter where, he's always there. And so I'm thinking about the Lord, and it's kind of singing along with James Taylor, and I'm doing her hair, and then I have one of those aha moments kind of like an epiphany i'm looking at this uh, you know when you look at a woman's braided hair going down the back of her head like this net herringbone style you know it looks like two strands of hair going down the back of her head right it looks like two but i was holding three in my hands and weaving them together and, and you see what when, when a man and a woman take and weave the love the heart and love of jesus and his grace into their relationship and he's just as much a part of it as either it's each other. And he weave him into there, and it gets all done. Those three things come together, and it looks like two people that make one couple, but it's beautiful. And that's what we want to show how all of us can have, not 
not just in moments, but more as a track record, as a lifestyle. And so I look forward to being with you. Let me pray for you, and then we'll close it down. Lord Jesus, thank you for every person in this room, and I, I thank you for the couples that are here that are already married. And I pray, Father, that we will want to seek your heart and, and let it become the defining feature of our love story. And then, Lord, for those who may be getting married or thinking about it or have been married, and it, it, they start, I just pray, Father, that they'll see that there is hope, hope beyond belief in you. You love us, Lord. You know our backstories. No matter what we've done, no matter what our secrets, you love us. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.